1: Welcome to Business
0: Aspirin, pain relief for business. Clint Junell has managed a restoration company in Dallas since 2008 and is one of the top drawing experts in his region. Clint is also the co-founder of JobDocs, a software developed to help his team manage their overwhelming volume of projects. On the podcast, Clint brings together business managers and leaders to share with you how they have overcome their business pains and how you can too. And now, here's your host, Clint Junell. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Business Aspirin, your podcast with Clint Janelle. I am your host, Clint Janelle, And on today, I have my very dear friend, Dan Casera with Core Group. Dan, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited Thanks to have you on. Me. Yeah, for Thanks sure. I am very excited to have you as part of what we're doing. Uh, so, I, I mean, you know a little bit about what I'm trying to accomplish here. And the goal is really that as a podcast, we have... Uh, listeners that are trying to grow a restoration business or a service-based business of some kind. And they're just trying to get to the next milestone or trying to figure out how to solve, you know, the cresting the $1 million mark or potentially the the three to 5 million range where they're trying to figure out how do I, how do I get over that? Now that I've gotten there, I need to figure some things out. And so I thought you would be spectacular in terms of a conversation to give us some nuggets of information as we kind of go uh, in in through this podcast series and and figure out where we are. So for me, uh, let's start with who is Dan and talk to me about you and talk to me about your business and what you're doing and let's just kind of get it kicked off.
1: Great, yeah. So I'm Dan Casera. I am the founder and CEO of a company called CORE, or CORE Group as, as we're referred to. Uh, we are essentially uh, a restoration industry, a property restoration industry platform. We are a, a national network of best in class uh, property restoration service providers. And we offer to those providers the ability to affiliate themselves and be a part of a system that's bigger than themselves. So like many large systems, you know, we we, we try to attract companies who are already successful, but are looking to kind of crest that next level and and trying to be a part of something bigger. So we offer up opportunities from uh, how to affiliate with other successful companies in the industry, giving them, we give them tools and best practices and resources uh, sometimes behind the scenes helps, sometimes it's, it's management coaching. It just depends on what each of our members kind of look for. But it's, uh, it's considered the most you know, exclusive group in the industry and the, the hardest industry group to get into, but for good reason, because we attract the very best contractors in the space. So very excited to be here.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad to have you here. So let's talk about that for a minute in terms of there are other companies or it's portrayed in the industry at times that there are other companies that function like CORE. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a little bit about what core is and does, uh, yeah. because I'm affiliated with you guys, mm-hmm. but it's, that's not really the case. So let's talk a little bit about what makes core unique. Why are you different, um, as a company than say any of the other groups that are TPAs or franchise models or any sure. of those things that exist? What, what's, what's different about core?
1: Well I mean you kind of already said it so you've got you've got franchise groups and you know you you join a franchise group or you're part of a franchise group generally to affiliate yourself with a national brand that brand's goal in theory is to help you grow, whether it be by distributing work to you or giving you opportunities in your market or or essentially just being affiliated with the brand in general. That that usually is the, the big value add to a traditional franchise model. Core is unique in that we're sort of like a multi-leg stool. We have multiple sides to our business. We have... Uh, a franchise side of our business uh, but we refer to ourselves as a hybrid franchise model uh, we don't require companies to to fully change their name one of our tiers of contractors you can become sort of co-branded so if you were you know xyz restoration you could be core by xyz that feels more like the traditional franchise model where we not only give you all the best practices and resources and you change your name but um, we really dial into how we can help you accelerate as a business uh, then we've got two other tiers one is called our core member tier, our middle tier. This is for companies who have been in business a minimum of three years and generating a minimum of $3 million in revenue for three consecutive years. And they can sort of co-brand co or co-label themselves as part of core. So again, XYZ Restoration, a member of core. And then we have our core elite group, which your company is a part of and we're proudly a part of. Um, and these are for companies that have been in business a minimum of 10 years and doing a minimum of $12 million in revenue. And these are really the big players in our industry. And so for those folks, you know, it's also affiliation with a larger group. Um, There are some really impressive companies in this industry, and many of which are part of core. I mean, just really incredible businesses. And I get the luxury of getting to know the founders of these companies and seeing what they've built from the ground up to these, you know, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollar companies that are just remarkable but they're smart enough to realize they can't do it themselves and they have to be a part of something bigger. So the other things we do, of course, so we have the industry's largest buying program. So we guarantee best in market pricing, we give rebates to contractors, and then we, we operate, um, most contractors refer to it as a TPA, although we don't believe it's like a TPA, it's, it's the un-TPA. Um, it's a managed repair network that's focused on high net worth carriers and commercial clients. Um, the difference is that we're constantly striving to use the contractor's lens, and that's a little bit different than other programs in the industry. So we're not, we're not just being a service mechanism for the carrier, per se, or the client. Uh, we're always looking at it from the contractor's lens. How can we better that experience? How can we get the contractor paid faster? How can we smooth the process? How can we get rid of some of the fake work that's kind of involved in some of those programs um, and really get to the root of what we're all here for, which is to serve other people? I mean, we are in the service industry. We are in the business of restoring people's lives, as the industry says all the time. But when you start to throw in some of that noise in between, you start to forget like why you're really here. And so it's really about building a platform that allows our service providers to serve that customer, do a great job at doing so, hopefully get them paid faster and try to really expedite that process. So that's really what Core is. And Core does a bunch of other things. We've launched Core University. We're doing some other really cool stuff that I can't yet announce yet. Yeah, yeah, sir. Um, but some really cool things. But there's no other company like ours that has as many complex pieces to it. Some of them will do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but not quite all that we do. And we're not striving necessarily to be the biggest platform, but we want to be the best. Uh, and in doing so, we're on track to being one of the biggest, but yeah, just sure. you know, just how it, how it works. But, sure. um, but we really do care about the companies that we affiliate ourselves with. We're not afraid to you know, fire customers, sometimes even insurance carriers to say that you know, it's just it's not a good fit for our contractors. And that's very different than some of the other programs on the market. It's too. Very unusual.
0: Yeah, well then, so what you're saying here, like it's a ton of nuggets of information just in that uh, that we'll try to circle back to and see if I can remember all the things that you brought up. But that's one of the reasons I was willing to affiliate with you. Uh, and if you recall one of our early conversations, like I push back, right? And I'm willing to go, hey, this is yeah. I, this doesn't feel quite, I don't like what's happening here. Yeah. Um, and you've been great to navigate all of that and put the things in place and do what you say. And I think that's important. One of the things that you brought up earlier, you're talking about, there are some requirements to be in core. And mm-hmm. I think that's significant too in terms of uh, what you're doing as a company and allowing members to play in the core pool. Mm-hmm. What does having these requirements do for a company? Say somebody's looking to grow a company. Mm-hmm. What does that do for them? And then how does a, somebody that doesn't meet these requirements right now learn from that and gain some of the value of knowing there are requirements to being part of a group that's national and growing?
1: Yeah. Well, so it's interesting. Um, we have some pretty interesting stats. So part of our process is in being a core member is you have to first uh, there's a number of a series of calls that happen. We could do what's called a discovery call. We tell you a little bit about core at about 100,000 feet. This is kind of what we do. And then if you're intrigued enough to say, yeah, I want to take this further. Um, then you do what's called Discovery Day, where you come to Austin, Texas, where we're based, and you you do this Discovery day and you get to spend time with our team. And now the the big reason that that's important to us, it's not required uh, in a lot of systems, right? They don't require you to come in and invest that time. But part of why we require that is that we find that there is one trait that's unique amongst core companies. And if we don't see that trait or that trait doesn't come out during that engagement, whether with myself or my team, or let's say we complete the discovery day and we all go out for dinner and just spend some social time, it's really folks that are that support and foster collective growth. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're a business person, right, you get up every day. And as you know, like any business person, you wake up every day unemployed. You're basically, you have to hustle. You have to build that business. And restorers know that more than anyone. There's no guarantee that you're going to get that work over and over and over again, but what's interesting is that some restorers will come in with this attitude of, I want to just get what I can get from this and then move on to the sort of the next thing. And others come to this, not just what is core going to do for me, but they actually come to it with like, this is what I think I can bring to core, which is really, really valuable to us. Because it shows us that not only are they going to bring the wealth of knowledge that they bring to the table, because I think oftentimes that's that's sort of under underappreciated what the restorer brings to the table but they also know that they can bring that to other core members. And that is really the trait that we kind of look for. Yes. There are minimum requirements in terms of revenue and how long you've been in business and all that stuff. And that's great. And, but we've turned away companies doing hundred million dollars. We have turned away and said, you know, it's just not a good fit. I actually did one this morning where I just said, sorry, I don't think it's a good fit. Um, and primarily because I just don't think they're going to contribute to the greater group, any value that is going to, is going to benefit the rest of the core members. It's funny, I had this aha recently. It feels like matchmaking, if that makes sense. It feels like matchmaking. So I I feel as though when they come to see us, they're looking at core and they look at the value that core brings. But we're always looking at it from like, how are they going to play with the other core members once they're here, once we sort of let them into the, you know, the club, if you will, what, what will that look like going forward? So if they attend our conference, if they attend our events, you know, what does that engagement look like? And so we very much talk internally about if we bring this individual in, are they going to play really well with you know so-and-so or these folks? Or we could just sort of identify that there's going to be a rub or whatnot. We know Clint, you know, and we know that he doesn't get along with a lot of people. So we know that I'm just, I'm just like, no, but, but it it is true. We look at that and I would, I would say of the people that come to Austin and we probably have three to four companies a week that come in every single week for most of the year, I'd say, you know, easily 10 and a half months of the year, we have folks coming here. Um, Only about 60% of them do we take to the next level. And then of those folks, um that's when we start to really look at the company so we look at the backgrounds and the owners and the financials and are they solvent or are they or is this maybe their their last lifeline that they're just looking for one thing to kind of get, we we identify all of that and then of that 60% that move forward i would say 80% of that group we then move to the next level and then the final step is actually member approval so even though we may think a company is fantastic we may tee those folks up to the rest of the members and the members say, we don't think it's a good fit because oftentimes those members know those companies you know, in the marketplace differently than we do. So what's really great about that is then we start to get some insight on things that maybe were not disclosed to us or things that we, maybe they didn't think were important to tell us that we start to kind of find out from there. And then at that point, you know, it's kind of home stretch. And then it's like, okay, the members have approved you, we approve you, then you can become a part of core. So um, that was something that was really important to us. We really wanted to make sure that our members had a vested interest in the other folks that were coming on board, because- While we have to live with them, so do our members. And so it's really important that that engagement stays healthy.
0: Sure. And all of that and what you're doing and how you handle that with your team and when you've hired employees and when you've brought employees on and then fired employees leads to this idea of culture. Mm -hmm. And I think you have done a spectacular job of creating a culture, both of restorers that are like-minded, but then a team that's like-minded and a lot of alignment. And when I say like-minded, like we don't necessarily agree on everything philosophically, religiously, spiritually, politically, sure. but as a group in business, everybody is saying I'm I'm in and I'm going to take this whole thing forward. So yeah. talk to me a little bit about important culture is and, and why you're so adamant about ensuring that you have the right culture all the way around. Because well, I, I think that's important for other businesses too, right? To yeah, so well, recognize and absolutely. go...
1: Absolutely. There there are many systems out there that talk about, you know, hiring for culture first versus skill, right? Skills can be trained. Um, You can be new to this industry. I mean, I was new to this industry 22 years ago and I had no idea what restoration was. It took me a a good couple of years to finally go, ah, this is everything we do, right? And so the skill set can be trained. The industry can be trained. The role can be trained. But what you cannot train are values, individual values. So what people bring to the table, and oftentimes the owner who makes that trip to Austin to meet with us, they carry the values of that company. So they are, they are sort of the, the chief visionary officer, the chief culture officer of that company. And they it's it's a pretty good indication of what the rest of the company looks like when you meet the founder or the, or the owner or the leader of that organization. So just like when we hire here at Core, we always hire for Core Values first, and then we hire for skill or knowledge of the industry and all that kind of stuff. Second, because if we can find a good culture fit or a good values fit, then it's a no brainer. Um, you know, whether or not, so we're an EOS company, so we operate on the EOS operating system and and in EOS, believe it or not, we were doing this before EOS, but it, which is why we liked EOS so much. It just kind of worked is that you hire first based on values as your values alignment, and then you hire with. Against something called whether they get it, want it, or have the capacity to do it, and those things can be trained, right? Those things can absolutely be trained. But if they don't have the values and they don't have the the, the culture connection, and, and not just like oh, we like to, you know, we like to be outdoorsy, so therefore, do they align. Those aren't really values. Those are the, that's more of you know how do you work as a company. But your values are really like sort of what you represent as a person. And, and as we're looking at companies, again, the value of the visionary or the founder really speaks to the people that they hire. You know, what are the things that they're willing to allow, you know, versus because if someone claims that they are this great individual who cares about, you know, restoring people's lives and they're all all the right reasons. You're hearing it all you're hearing it all, And yet they're hiring people who are taking advantage of people and, you know, essentially doing things that are unethical. That shows you that clearly those values. Something,
0: something are- isn't aligned. Exactly. Yeah, and in some cases it's just poor decision making, right? right? They don't have the values, they don't have an EOS type system in place, right. um, and and that's the thing that's pretty significant in regards to going. Okay, how do we navigate all of this and make sure that we are creating a culture? You talked about core values, not core your brand values, right. but still at the same time, yes, your brand values. Yeah. But yeah. when when you talk about EOS, you have the core values piece, uh, and there are, there are charts out there that say, "Hey, look, do you want a." person that's a high performer, but low moral character, low values, low trust, or would you prefer to have a mediocre performer with high trust, high values? And that's kind of how you arrived at that, which you were doing that all yes before you ever implemented EOS. Uh, But let's talk about that. Let's talk about implementing EOS and like, what was the pain that you were trying to solve when you looked to EOS? Why EOS? And what is your thought about all of that?
1: I think what's kind of interesting is, you know, human beings in general, not just this industry, human beings in general operate in these sort of personas, right? Like I, we invite folks to come to Austin and part of that initial presentation on, on core is understanding our company history. A lot of that company history is my background. So, you know, I was the CEO of DKI. I was very, very, very short period. I was the CEO of Central Repair Solutions. I was CEO of Cunningham Lindsay's Oriole. And they see that. And they assume, oh wow, you're you're quite accomplished. You must have all the answers, right? They assume you've got the ten year, therefore you must have all the answers. But I will tell you, um, I oftentimes reflect in my very first role as a CEO in this industry, uh, which was the CEO of Dki. I was I was thirty, just turned thirty four years old. I was very young, and I had taken this role, and you know, my ego told me this was the role that I was ready to step into. But quite frankly, I learned very quickly that I had no idea what I was doing. No idea. I made tons of mistakes. Mind you, I adapt very quickly. So I was right correcting those mistakes quickly, but I I didn't have all the answers. And then when I launched CORE, you know, I'm now several, you know, decade plus later, and I have a lot more knowledge on what it means to be in this role. I still realized I didn't have all the answers. And what I was doing is I was operating... On sort of my own personal fuel of like what I wanted this vision to be, but I needed structure. So I felt like I had a really great engine, but we just we had no uh, rudder. We just couldn't we couldn't figure out what direction to go, and we just wanted to build everything. And what EOS did for us, and believe it or not, I found EOS through some of our members that who I I was having conversations with these uber successful restoration providers who who were telling me, oh, you know, I hit this threshold, and then we adopted EOS, and my company took off. And I had no idea what EOS was, you know, it's it's the entrepreneurial operating system based on a call Traction and all that stuff. And um, it just sounded like a lot. And EOS for us was easy to implement. Our people got it pretty quickly. I got it very quickly. It allowed us to create a rhythm and a structure for what, how we operated the business, everything sure. from when our meetings were, how long our meetings were reporting on what's important and not what's, what's not important, all that stuff. And that sense of clarity, really allowed us to realize okay we are on the right track thankfully we, it wasn't we didn't adopt it because the company wasn't doing well we adopted it because we just needed more structure and it was it's been remarkable for us what's really cool and i kind of love this is that my sort of long term vision would be amazing if like all of our core companies could be on the same sort of rhythm and operating system which would be amazing but what's even even cooler is when we have candidates come to Austin, I give them a copy of Traction. I give it to the owner and say, hey, okay. you do something with this or not, take this. Because no one ever gave that to me I, you know, until until I absolutely needed it. You may not realize you need this, but try this. Um, sometimes they go, oh yeah, we're already on this or we're on something similar, which is great. It doesn't have to be US, it could be anything like it. But what's cool is they take that copy and even if they don't join Core, I always think to myself, wouldn't that be cool if they actually adopted that and those companies become better operators? Because at the end of the day, whether you join us or not, like... I just want restorers to be successful. I don't really care whether they join us or not. I mean, it, it's great if they do, right? right? But right. at the end of the day, I just want better companies out there because there
0: are everything.
1: there's like 50,000 property restoration service providers yep. in the United States. And it's like, there's so many that, you know, and there's so many different like kinds of quality. There's just so many different types of restorers that I think that if we can have more great business people out there, the better this industry will be. And so, I think-
0: Let me ask you this then. Would you recommend to everybody listening to this that they implement some kind of system?
1: Yes. Oh,
0: 100%. Would, would you recommend everyone they go to either Audible or Amazon and grab a book, Copy Attraction by Gina Wickman?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's the easiest one. Uh, yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. I, I'm with you, right? Like, I I like it. I know we have some friends that are using some other systems, and I think those yeah. systems are probably great, too.
1: But you'll find but, there's a lot of similarities, right, in those systems. Or They're referring to almost the yeah. same, but in a slightly different way, you know? So. Yeah. And there's things like
0: in on the e o s side of things where they refer to your quarterly rocks, and I'm like, I'd prefer a different name than rocks, yeah personally, but okay, fine, right, like I can live with that and so I would say to solve a lot of pain points uh in in and around culture and core values, yeah um implementing something like like e o s based off the book traction would be vital to help you have some a good foothold, a good base starting point for growth 100%. in your company. Um. So if you're out there listening to this podcast and you're hitting some kind of plateau or you're struggling with various different issues for whatever reason, like check this out and see if going through this process actually helps. And some of the process is, in fact, a little painful in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Agreed?
1: Um, well, yeah, especially when it comes to people, because what this forces you to do if you already have a team, whether it's a small team, I remember we implemented this with a team of folks where you had a founder and you had two of his children working for the company and then a fourth person, small company. And it and, and, and he was like, Oh, we're, we're too small for us." I said, no, you're not, you're not, you can, you can lay the foundation for your growth. And he discovered very quickly that, you know, that he had the wrong people on the bus. Right. And so what this does is it does force you to have to make some decisions. And sometimes, you're having to let go of a really loyal and valuable employee who you believe has been, that you feel almost this sense of obligation to, but you start to realize as, as you grow, that they're not coming with you. They're just not elevating with you. So many cliche, you know, statements out there about how people you surround yourself have to be elevating with you. Otherwise leave that. You have to leave them behind, unfortunately. So um, yeah, I definitely recommend uh, implementing a system like this because um it, it's pretty common, especially in the services industry, where you have a founder who's a really good technician who can't get that that person he or she can't get themselves to being a really good business person who can then hire other great technicians right and I think that having this structure in place allows business owners to realize number one they can't do it all themselves right they may think they're the visionary and the person in the leading organization, but really they're they're more operations and they need to hire a visionary. Um, which is actually a big uh, aha wake-up call for a lot of people. But at the end of the day, you're still accomplishing the same thing, which is your business is more successful. You're making taking all the right steps. And it may hurt your ego a little bit, but the reality is it's, it's helping you. So what what difference does it make? Yeah, sure. So let me ask you this then. As you've implemented EOS, mm-hmm.
0: has there been a time in implementing an operating system or in the business where you followed the process And knew it was the right decision and executed on, like, say, terminating someone. And we know that, like, BOS talks about the 48 hours of pain, right? Like, it's going to hurt a little bit. Yeah. So clearly, sometimes that stings and you're worried about the next step. But have you made the decision following the systems that you've put in place that you believe was the wrong decision at the end of the day? Or has it turned out to be the right decision every time?
1: It's it's turned out to be the right decision. Uh, Yeah, it absolutely has. I, I don't know. I think that, you know, this whole, you know, hire slow, fire, fast that sounds good in principle, but what it fails to acknowledge is there's people involved in that, right? Their lives. And when you have someone who's maybe in the wrong role or the wrong seat, and you know that they were recently married, they just had a first child, they're they maybe just bought a mortgage that they can just barely afford, and then and you know, and you know that pain. It's very difficult to then think about that person as like, well, I'm just gonna let them go because they're in the you know, it's not working or whatnot. So I'm a strong believer of, you know, right person, right seat, maybe they're in the wrong seat. And so it's a matter of like, maybe it's a matter of shifting people to the right seat, which we have, and that has Uh been ultimately Uh very successful. But if it's the wrong person, I just, I can't ignore that. And no, we've made decisions to to let people go up even before EOS, just because it wasn't a fit. And it's been some of the best decisions we've ever made. Right.
0: And so I would say, like, I know that same kind of pain too, right? I, I look at it and I go, oh God, like, what are we going to do if we get rid of this person? Who's going to fill this gap? How are we going to, I'm going to have to take this stuff on myself. I'm going to have to navigate yeah. this for a while until we find somebody and get somebody back in play. But the book talks about this 48 hours of pain as opposed yeah. to the next nine months of pain. And so as a nugget for those listening, I would say like, that's vital, like pay attention to the fact that, you know, something needs to happen and the pain that is resulting from having that person on your team right now is only going to continue. Now, in your case, in my case, both of us, we care, like we care, we love hard, right? We love our teams. We care about our teams. Uh, And so it's very difficult to be in a position where you're going, okay, I like, this is going to have to be over. I've got to terminate yeah. this because you do know those people, you do know what's happening and you do care about them. In both of our cases, we make decisions, to try to move somebody to a different seat first and see if that solves the problem. And in some cases for both of us, it's even worked. Like you've had some very good successes that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, there's been some where you've done that, that still didn't work right. and you, and you have to cut ties. So I think it's important people hear that and hear that very clearly, Right. Culture, core values, being aligned with your team in terms of who you are and what you're really trying to accomplish is significant. Yeah. Um, because skills, again, right? We can teach people how to do various different things without any real major problems. But the skills can be taught, like what you said earlier.
1: Well, what's um, interesting as a business leader, you will have the more your company grows, right? The more human beings that you employ and you get them, you know, in the sort of the rhythm of things, you will have some employees who will come to you and, and and will identify an employee who you already know is not a good fit, right? You know, they're not in the right seat or even in the right company. And you've got other employees who, whether they verbally or just demonstrate through their actions that they don't believe, you know, this person call them John Susie, whoever, like this person doesn't belong here. And the longer you as a business person hold off on making that decision, the more damage you're actually doing to the rest of your organization, because people start to believe that you're you tolerate a level of whether it's mediocrity or you know unethical behavior, whatever that is for that that scenario, um, or just simply that they're just not doing, they're not pulling their weight to move the organization forward. The rest of your team realizes this is what you're willing to tolerate. And if they're willing, if that's truly to tolerate, that's when you lose people. You lose mm-hmm. you, you're gonna lose okay. your best people yeah. just because you kept your worst. And so that and I'm
0: I'm emotion. absolutely guilty of that, right? I've been through that because I I care enough about the people to try to prevent pain for them, right? Oh, we can fix it. I think we can fix it. Exactly. Um, and maybe part of that's arrogance on my part. Maybe part of it is caring too much. Because I like I try to do the right thing to my own detriment, right? If it's the right thing, take care of them, do something for them. But at some level, you got to make that decision. So yeah. everybody out there hear me saying, like you got to make the decision at times, and it's important. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about what is a mistake that people often make in business that's hard to fix. That would obviously be one of them. Like hiring the wrong people is one of them. What's something else?
1: Uh, you're not just hiring, but keeping the wrong people as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. Another, uh, what's, a, what's an example of a mistake people make in business that's hard to fix? Hmm, that's so broad. It's broad in the sense there's so many things that I'm, I'm trying to narrow it down. Talk,
0: let's talk about something that you've experienced. A mistake that you've made that you recognize that it was hard to correct.
1: Well, I hate to go back to what we were just talking about, but that, that's a good example of one where I've, you know, I've hired folks you know, sometimes you, know, you, you make the mistake of hiring someone based on sort of their credentials. We have this massive industry that we serve, but it's a very small community. We all, a lot, most people in this space know each other, right? Like huh? most of us know who the players are in this space. And sometimes there've been a couple instances in my career where I've hired someone who, you know, looks great on LinkedIn and everyone knows them and all that kind of stuff. And you hire somebody and you think, that their persona what kind of what's out there, what people think of them is going to, is going to somehow benefit your organization and you're going to bring that. Right. But then you find out very quickly that, you know, you've made a huge mistake that becomes a PR nightmare as well. Right. Because you, you're doing the right thing. You're eliminating the, the person who, who needs to go because whether they're toxic or what it's so many different scenarios there, but you, you know, it's hard to come back from that. Right. But I think that as long as you, what I have learned, as long as you stick to your guns, you stick to the truth, right? You don't. You don't come up with. When I say it's a PR nightmare, PR is also a, is you know spin tactics. How can I spin this to make myself look better? I think that if you're honest about it, and then when that does come up with people, you're honest about it. You just say you know it, it didn't work, or these are things I don't tolerate, you know, whatever, and you're honest about it, and you you own the fact that you made that mistake. I think you can recover from that, but I also think a lot of business leaders are not willing to admit when they make mistakes. I mean, oftentimes, oh, for they, sure. They make massive mistakes and they just, they pretend like we, they they pretend they don't do it. And, and, and that's something that I would say you can recoup from something like that. As long as you're willing to own the fact that, Hey, I made, I made an honest mistake and it was just not just didn't work. So yeah.
0: And I think that's vital, right. But you're right. So many people are not willing to go, Hey man, I messed up and own it. Yeah. But the reality is all of us do like we've screwed something up. We've made mistakes. And I would much rather as a person, have you own what you messed up and be truthful with me. And I can respect that instead of being everybody else's fault. And, oh, I didn't have anything to do with it. And, you know, yeah. it's not, you know, those kind of things drive me nuts in terms sure. of uh, personalities doing that sort of thing.
1: Um, I think that they, not to go get too philosophical, but something just came to me. I think that I think a big mistake that people make is not admitting what they don't know. I would say that's probably the biggest thing. People in general tend to posture, you know, they lead with their ego and I think that the faster you can admit that you don't have all the answers and that you don't know it, the faster you will surround yourself with the right people who have the right answers. And the whole, you know, cliche statement of surround yourself with people who are smarter than you, I get to do that every day. Like my employees are smarter than me. My members are smarter than me. Like I know that, right? And I harness that and know that, you know, these are, this is, this is the the community the tribe that I, I keep because I don't have all the answers. And yeah, I think it's sure. When you. When you start to like fall back on the, I have all the answers or I know it all, you start to make really stupid mistakes because ones that you could have avoided if you just looked to that tribe and said, Hey, I don't know what to do with this. Right. And, and so, yeah, I would that's, think-
0: that's another, I agree. Right. And I look at that and I think about like just the group that I know relatively well, the core elite members. And I yeah. think about those guys and I'm like, every one of these guys is smarter than me. Like they all know what they're doing. They all seem to be put together. They have things together. I'm content to tell all of them that, right? Like I don't look at me and go, man, I look at me. how oh, cool. Yeah, I am. Yeah. And all those kinds of things, because yeah. I, I really, I recognize that there's so many people out there that have answers to questions have been through something, experienced something. Um, you can't help your ignorance. If you're ignorant to something, you can't help that uh, right. until you've had a chance to experience and somebody to teach you, you're not going to know the answers to the questions. Yeah. So stop thinking that you're going to look stupid to somebody that you don't really care about anyway, because you don't really answer the question, get the answer to the question, make your company better, grow your company, make it solid. Right. Um, And I think that's vitally important to recognize that I tell people all the time when we have conversations about job docs and they ask like, you know, so tell me a story about job docs. I'm like, well, I was running a restoration company. We were doing three or 400 jobs a year and I'm not smart enough to run a restoration company. I need something to help me do that because I, I just don't. And even you and I have bounced back this statement regularly of building the airplane in the air. Yeah. Like I've got some skill to make some things happen, but I don't know what I'm doing and part of this and the company's off and taking off and flying, but yeah. I can't control it, you know? And so I think that's important to recognize. And especially in the restoration space, there's a lot of, you know, puffed up chests, um, really a lot of service industry. Yeah. And some of them are not necessarily being asses about it. It's just, they don't want to be seen as inferior to anyone else. And right. Uh, they let that take control instead of being honest. So I think that's a huge nugget too, right? Just for yeah. you, don't like, don't drive your company into the ground or into a problem because you're unwilling to ask for an answer to a question because you believe you're supposed to already have known it and people will perceive you as being stupid. Don't, yeah. Yeah. right? What is stupid is to drive your company in the ground because you're not willing to ask a question and try to get help. Or, or share
1: stupid. the world, share the world what your spouse sees. He or she knows you're not the smartest person.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. or, or you're go 15, to an industry you or your 15-year-old, right? Or you could throw right, your 15-year-old. I say, or
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. <Go> oh. to, <laughs> if you go to an industry conference, that's always the most comical for me, because I see just people that are just like, you know, and they there's just so much posturing and it's exhausting. It really is, it's exhausting because I imagine for those people, it's exhausting to maintain, you know, that I'm I'm bigger and better and better than everyone else, right? I love, like, I love, 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 like where this industry is heading in a number of different ways. I love how podcasts like this are bringing value to our industry. There's other really great podcasts to talk about leading with the heart. And, you know, there's so many really cool nuggets that are coming out of this industry because I think people are starting to realize that the status quo is just not going to cut it anymore. Right. And so, yeah, I just think it's so great to, to see that people are starting to wake up to the fact that you don't have to puff your chest up and act like you're the biggest and baddest and best because uh, even the most successful person in this industry does not have all the answers, period. No.
0: So, well, and I, I gain a lot of confidence. I don't know if that's the right word. I get a lot of relief looking at places like Amazon and Walmart and these massive companies that have got a lot of things together very well Yeah, and still have problems on some level because they can't answer all the questions and they didn't foresee... Whatever that was going to happen, or how the market was going to turn, or COVID, then you have to just kind of evaluate that and go, "Look, there's got to be." It's encouraging to know that it's not just me, right? Right. Yeah. It's there. Right. There are companies that are struggling that have got a lot of teams that movie. are putting things together. I think that's great. So I would say that to all the people listening as well. Yeah. What is something that you wish you knew when you got started?
1: God, I think everything we've just talked about. Like honestly, you
0: know, that's I when I ask that question, I'm like. Yeah there's, yeah, so, many I, things I, there's from
1: that. so many things. Yeah. There's so many things that I, 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 that would have gotten me, you know, here faster, or whatever. There's so many things, but you know, I think you have to be constantly learning. I think that, you know, you just have to constantly be a sponge. You have to constantly be learning. And I think that you have to learn to be vulnerable with people and you have to be, you have to learn to tell people what you don't realize and know because there's so, there's so many brilliant people in our space that I just think that, that you could learn from that if you would just stop and listen and pay attention. And, you know, so I would say that's probably the biggest thing is just constantly be learning, you know, um, one of my detriments of starting as young as I did was that I I was young. So, you know, young comes with ego and like pretending, you know, fake it till you make it all that, Mm -hmm. all, all that kind of stuff. And so, but yeah, it, it's very humbling when you go home and you deal with your 12-year-old daughter and your wife who, who go, yeah, you don't really know anything. Yes, so, you're an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> Thank exactly. you.
0: Thank you for pointing out what I already knew. So yeah. I, I like that you said that, though, too. So part of our core values, one of our core values is cares, because we actually care about people, about our team, about the business, about the industry. But it, yeah. is, it is compassionate. Adaptable, reliable, exceptional, and seeks improvement that you just said, like constantly trying to seek improvement because we all know technology changes, life changes, equipment changes, everything allows us to be better. I mean, we definitely drive structures differently today than we did 25 years ago. And I think that's important. And so, that being said, too, like the way my dad is wired, my dad really feels like he has to touch all of the projects that he has and he's on in his business. And as a result, he's kind of limited his ability to have growth and have success because he is stuck in this is the way things happen and doesn't adapt to that. He doesn't seek improvement on a I mean, he's not trying to suck at his job, but he's not looking at the things happening around him. That, I mean, he's old, right? Like he's, you know, I'm 73 years old at this point. But it's one of those things. I can't where, wait till
1: he watches this. And no, like, I, he's not even
0: gonna know about that. Here's the scenario: anyway. he's old. <laughs> maybe, maybe he won't even, maybe he won't even be able to find the podcast. Who knows? I still love him, right? But yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, there's. I've learned a lot from that. I mean, honestly, yeah. some of the things that I do, the fact that some of my restoration projects I never even touch or talk about or even know about is yeah. because which you can't either. You don't know everything that's going on because if you do that, we can't have what's happening. And right. so I learned that from watching him. Like that's something he taught me without knowing he was teaching me that I can't touch everything. And so I think that's great. So let's talk about as business aspirin, what is a pain you've experienced recently or currently are experiencing besides, you know, making staffing changes and some of that um, or EOS that you've experienced and what have you done to alleviate that pain?
1: I would say recently, I can only. I'm speaking to us as sort of a company. You know, one of the questions you asked early on was what made us different. I think there's a lot of there's in this industry. I've noticed every year there's like a whole new wave of things coming in, whether it's technology or other organizations. And there's a lot of noise. And I think that that we have we have the squirrel, you know, issue in sure. this industry where there's some really great things happening in this industry, but the next new thing that comes out you know, our, our customer base, which is you, right? The restorer, you know, we'll go, oh, this is the next new thing. And they'll jump very quickly. At that. And so I think the biggest pain that we've noticed as an industry, as a company is that there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of companies that are trying to solve the, you know, a piece of a problem and all this stuff. And it creates noise, right? So I, I'd say the biggest thing is cutting through that noise and how how can we as a company differentiate ourselves so that our customer base can still find us and know that we're here and know that we're not going anywhere and that we and, and I would say that's sort of the same thing for a restorer, right? There's a lot yeah. of competition. Every one of you has competition good, in your market. Stuff. And so while you've got all these new you know, infiltrating companies that are starting, and and there's a lot of consolidation obviously happening in our industry. And so I think that companies need to ask themselves, how am I going to differentiate myself sort of year over year and and show the market, you know, what makes me different? Because after a while, both end user customers, carriers, agents, brokers doesn't matter, really matter. After a while, you just start to sound like every other company, right? They're all. Right. Kind of right. The, so like what are you doing that constantly evolves? So I think the biggest pain that we're finding as a company is how how year over year can we sharpen our saw and then kind of reinvent ourselves without losing the hard work we've already done because we're very at core, we're very brand conscious. We want to make sure that like we're steadfast in the communication and what we put out there. Um, and we don't want to like re-evolve every year. So they go, God, they don't they don't know what they want to be when they grow up. Cause we're always changing. We stick to what, you know, our message, but we're always looking for like this year, we're already talking about 24 right now. And like, what are, what are we going to say to the market in 24, not just introduce something new, but like, what are we going to do that's going to differentiate us from other people? And I think that that's, that's big. Cause on a, on a, a sort of local restorers level, there's a lot of competition. And then even on a national level, there's a lot of competition. And then you start to get into space where we are, where we're only one of, you know, a handful of organizations like us, but, but there's a lot of competition. So like what makes us different because you spend most of your time comparing, you know, people will compare you to what do you like, you know, and you, again, you asked that early on the call, there's organizations like you, well, they are, but what's, what's that thing that we're going to do. That's going to show people that we're different. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, I think you've done it well. Um, And I think that's something important for everyone to hear though, is, Yes, there's 74 different social media channels. I, that's, I made that number up, I don't really know, but it seems like it, right? Yeah. There's all these places- That's very specific. Um, that are very 74. <laughs> but, well, I couldn't use a half number, but I could have done that, right? Yeah. Um, that, that are vying for your attention. Um, and so your consumers, the people that are having issues are also having that same experience. Yeah. Tons of things are vying for their attention. So that noise that you're talking about is significant. And not everything is the right solution. Um, mm-hmm. so how do you, how do you present yourself as the right solution for the right customer? And yeah. even to that aspect, which you talked about earlier, not every customer is the right customer for you either. And right. so obviously as, as a restoration company, when we started, every job was a job that we wanted, but they, sometimes they burn you. Sometimes they're not good for you. And so right. you got to pay attention to that too. Like pay attention to the noise, find out what's going on. Find your wheelhouse, get in your wheelhouse and stay there, right? And do your job and do it exceptionally.
1: Yeah. Um, you can't be everything to everyone. That's for sure.
0: Absolutely. You know, yeah. and and when you're starting a business as an entrepreneur and you're trying to provide for your family, and you have your why, which is what you're trying to solve. I mean, you jumped into being an entrepreneur for some reason, right? Generally, whatever that is, you're trying to make sure you're successful for that reason. And sometimes that can blind you to problems that you're going to walk right into, you can't right. run into some of those problems if you're you know it's crazy um, I want to be mindful of your time, Dan. uh, we've gone past our thirty minutes. Is there anything else last little nugget you want to share with anyone you know any any closing thoughts of any kind?
1: yeah, and I know this is sort of this is sort of self it's gonna sound self motivated I promise you it's it's not you know we're in a very interesting time, I would say in the world in our industry, things are happening very, very quickly. There's so much happening in our universe right now, right? That I think it's, it's, it's an exciting yet scary time for a lot of entrepreneurs. I would say what I always say, which is be a part of something bigger than yourself, join something, be a part of build that tribe and do it quickly because, you know, you don't need to be on an Island by yourself. And I'd say if I could give any nugget of advice, it's, don't pretend you can do everything, be a part of something bigger and, and find the right community to be a part of. And, and, because they're not all the same, right? right? So I would say that's probably my biggest piece of
0: But well, I think that's beautiful, right? And, mm-hmm. and because I know you and we are friends, I know your heart, I know that's true for you, right? It's not, because you're going to tell somebody, I may not be the right fit for you. Maybe right. you need to go be a part of another group somewhere down the road. And, and yeah. I think that's beautiful that you're willing to kind of be that person. I agree. Like you have to be a part of something bigger. You have to be able to have some people you can lean on. Don't view your competition as an enemy. Right, in a lot of cases, they're insanely valuable to you. And so here in DFW, as Mr. Restore, when we're operating our restoration company, I look to build relationships with others that we can rely on. And now as a result of some of that, we've got some other core members and core elite members here in DFW that I can rely on. And it's spectacular to be able to have that relationship that allows me to do more because I know somebody else has got my back. Exactly. If if I take on more than I can take on, Mm -hmm. then- somebody's there for me. And that's beautiful.
1: Yeah. 100%.
0: Dan, man, it's been great having you on. Likewise. I really appreciate Thank you being you a part me. of the business, business aspirin podcast. Absolutely, dude. Uh, and we'll, we may even circle back into another one at some point, cause there's a lot of information and wisdom you have to share. And I appreciate it. Likewise. And, um, uh, I hope to talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Take care, Dan. This has been a business aspirin pain relief for business podcast. If you're a business owner trying to overcome your business pains, follow us on Apple Podcasts or visit our website
1: for more information, job-docs.com.